Greetings and grace, everyone. Due to my absence this week, I am re-airing last week's program, but I do encourage you to listen to the program still yet. If you did listen to last week, uh, maybe you missed something or the reinforcement is always good. If you have any questions, comments about the faith in general, again, don't hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com or as always, you can contact me also by way of my website at uh, joeholcraft.org. So God bless and enjoy. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This, this is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Thursday evening where we are here in the studio talking the stuff of theology of the body. We are in our eighth week, our eighth installment of Theology of the Body of a 12-week module, if you will. And as I have had each and every week, once again, this week I do have Ivan with me. So, Ivan, great to have you with me another evening. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be back. I hope our listeners have been benefiting as much as I have from our discussions on theology of the body. Amen, Ivan. And you know, today is really, in many ways, a summary of our first seven weeks. We are here tonight to talk about marriage. Uh, marriage as a sacrament, and this call to enter deeper into uh, this great sacrament. So, as we talk about this subject matter, maybe for our faithful listeners, some of the things that we talk about will sound familiar. Certainly, by the grace of God and the gift of Holy Spirit, uh, there, there are always new insights to be had. So, mm-hmm. what I wanted to do by way of opening, Ivan, is share a story, a story that's close to my heart, a story that I like to tell uh, when I go into parishes and into dioceses and do and do conferences and talk about this subject matter, and it brings us back to a conference I went to in 1999. There was a gathering of about 2,500 people in this gymnasium. The first night, a couple that had been married for 75 years were the keynote speakers, and I remember to this day, now 15 years later, this very old and frail couple walking to the front of the, the stage there, going up the steps, and the husband, both of them in the early 90s, huh? the husband taking her and guiding her to the podium where the MC asked the question that we all wanted to ask. How did you do it? How have you done it? How have you been married for 75 years? And I remember the 92, 93-year-old wife <laughs> grabs the microphone And she says, all but eating the microphone, Ivan, we're still getting to know each other. And you could have heard a pin drop. We're still getting to know each other. I remember thinking to myself, no, wait, 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 wait. You've been married 75 years. What do you mean we're still getting to know each other? That doesn't make any sense to me. And then they began to talk about love. The inexhaustible reality of love. And man, I was hit so hard over the head. Of course, it's the stuff of God's mystery, I remember thinking to myself, because God's mystery is inexhaustible. So if we are to share in this great mystery, Ivan, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense that they're still getting to know each other. 
And funny enough, I found myself in a conversation soon thereafter with a couple who'd been married for 70 years. And I asked them, how did you do it? And I thought to myself, are they going to answer? Still getting to know each other? Ah, but they gave, they gave me another pearl of wisdom. When the husband said of his wife, she surprises me every day. She surprises me every day. Oh, well, there it is. <laughs> there it is. I mean, there you have the twin towers of how to make a marriage last, right? We're still getting to know each other, and she surprises me every day. Well, those are two nice pearls of wisdom, Ivan, but how do you go about doing that? That is a good question. How do we go about doing that? Well, perhaps by reminding ourselves that no person ever stays the same. Just think about how much you have changed in the past year. Well, so is your loved one. All of us have are having new experiences, new thoughts at the end of each date. And perhaps a good practice could be just sitting down with their loved ones at the end of each date, having maybe a family meal where we sit down and we talked about our thoughts and our the things that we experience each day. It's one way to start learning about your spouse. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Ivan, that you're making about the importance of sitting down with each other at the end of the day, kind of looking back how can you love each other more? Uh, so what does this love look like? Well, the Catechism gives us a clue. Paragraph 1615 here, Ivan. By coming to restore the original order of creation disturbed by sin, Christ himself gives the strength and grace to live marriage in the new dimension of the reign of God. Therefore, the Catechism says, by following Christ, renouncing themselves, and taking up their crosses, Spouses will be able to receive the original meaning of marriage and live it with the help of Christ. As John Paul II said in his work, Theology of the Body, if someone chooses marriage, he must choose it exactly as it was instituted by the Creator from the beginning. So, what does this all mean? Well, it points to the sacrament. That's amazing, uh, the story that you share. It's, it's beautiful to see an old couple in love. Because sometimes people may wonder, where well, is there such a thing, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. In fact, if you have never seen a true in love couple, you might begin to wonder, where well, is it even possible? That might even be discouraging. Mm-hmm. That's why sometimes when you talked about the sacrament of marriage, this might bring certain mixed feelings to people, mm-hmm. especially maybe you have had a divorce or you came from broken families. This topic may be not a very exciting topic. I was just recently talking to uh, my teens about theology of the body, and I asked him, hey, what do you think is the purpose of marriage? And I gave mm-hmm. him a hint, and I said, what is marriage a foreshadowing of? Mm-hmm. And one kid said, hell. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody just laughed, and I said, no, no, no. <laughs> yes, a marriage might look like hell, but it's not a foreshadow of hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in fact, it's the complete opposite. If It's a foreshadow of the spiritual marriage that we will have with God in mm-hmm. heaven. But it's amazing how something so holy, so beautiful can when it's not based on God's love, when God is set apart from it, can actually look like hell. Isn't mm-hmm. that what hell is, Joe? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Complete yeah. separation from God. Yep. Complete separation from God. And so, yeah, I mean, it really brings us back to the importance of the meaning of a sacrament. Mindful, as we talked about it in the past, Ivan, that every sacrament has a human dimension and a divine dimension. 
And so when you talk about a sacrament, every sacrament points to Christ. A sacrament is that outward sign that points to an interior reality. Yeah, you know, the word sacrament can be confusing to some people because as Catholics, we have so many of them. We have seven sacraments. Mm -hmm. So what is a simple definition for a sacrament? It is a visible sign that makes visible something invisible. Mm -hmm. Let's think, for example, the sacrament of baptism. When, when a person gets baptized, that person becomes literally the children of God. Before the, the baptism, he was a creature of God. But after the baptism, he is the child of God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, do you see a stamp on his forehead right after that that says, I belong to God? Mm -hmm. the, the, some, his body somehow changes into something else because now he belongs to God? No, this all happens spiritually, but he's not the same person that he was before the sacrament. Mm -hmm. So in a similar way, what is the sacrament of marriage makes visible? And as you said, it, it makes visible God's love and Christ's love for his church. Yeah, Christ's love for his church. And so it is right that we turn to Ephesians 5, 31 to 32 to kind of grab hold of the language of this sacrament, Ivan, where we read in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, verse 32 says. And I mean in reference to Christ and the church. So through their union in one flesh, and we can say in this context, the human dimension, spouses are caught up into the great mystery of God's covenant love for humanity, Christ's union with the church. And this, Ivan, is the divine dimension. So what we have then are these two unions, husband, wife, Christ, church. This is what we need to be thinking about, Ivan, as we begin to reflect more critically into what marriage is all about and why it's a sacrament. If God's spousal love for humanity was only half open in the Old Testament, in the cross, here the mystery is fully revealed. And I speak to this because it's really important for us to appreciate what's going on as it relates to spousal love and mystery. And the best way to really get at this, I think, is to go back to Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 32, and really go back to, you know, we read verse 31 to 32, to go back to the, the larger picture of that and start with uh, verse 21. We might not get through all of this per se, Ivan, but I do want to make note of some of these opening verses and reflect upon their importance as we talk about marriage, because really, this is the great passage as it relates to marriage. So here's Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I love that scripture. But you know what, Joe? Usually when people read this chapter of scripture, they usually just go to Ephesians 5.22 that says, Wives to be subject to their husbands as to the Lord. Mm -hmm. and, and usually women, when they hear this, is like, 
how dare do you say that? They get mm. chills. Yes. And yeah. it's understandable because in today's culture, this scripture makes us think of male domination over female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But And we forget that right before that passage, it says in Ephesians 5, 21, be subordinate to one another as reverence for Christ. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, it says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, that he handed himself over for her. What St. Paul is doing is he's calling the woman to accept the love of the husband. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, when you really think about this, if the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves his church, if the husband is to be head of his household, head of his wife as Christ is head of his church, what does that mean? That means that it is a headship rooted in being a servant. Mm-hmm. Think about that. A headship that is rooted in being a servant. What then does that mean? Maybe a better translation, Ivan, of the wives be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. The better translation could be wives allow your husbands to serve you. Mm-hmm. Whoa, 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 what are you saying, Joe? No, 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 no. That, that, that is not the translation I'm used to. But ah, when you draw back, and you interpret verse 22 within the larger context. That is absolutely what Paul is saying. Now, Ivan, that being said, there's still a sacrifice for the wife to allow her her husband to serve her, and certainly uh, the call of the self-gift of the husband to die to self and serve his wife as he's called to. Yes, we need to remember that this scripture, verse 22, is about the church accepting the self-gift of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's about the church saying yes to the self-given, self-forgetful love of Christ. Amen. Who gave himself entirely to the church. That's right. The church doesn't accept a, a Christ who is dominating her, a Christ who abuses her, a Christ who takes advantage of her. The church accepts a Christ who holds nothing back but gives his very life for his bride. Amen. I mean, what are you talking about right now, Ivan? Christ is turning himself over freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully, as we talked about over the last two weeks. I mean, this is what you're talking about right now. This is why that free, total, faithful, fruitful gift is so important to each and every marriage. Yeah, and we can use an acronym for that kind of love, FTFF. I told this to our teens one time, and I said, hey, you know that God loves you freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully. And that can be summarized in FTFF. And one of the teens said, oh, so God loves us. <laughs> and I said, uh, yes, Christ loves you. <laughs> yeah. So we're called to love our wives. <laughs> yeah. So as we talk about this call to love our wives freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully, what's so important as we are talking about this within the context of theology of the body is to consider once again, Ivan, the language of the body. Now, what am I getting at here? We have to understand, especially as males, that we are loving subjects, persons, not objects and things. And we've talked about this a great deal. So there's no utilitarian sense in a marriage. And by that, this kind of usury attitude that might be applied uh, from one spouse to another. No, it is about loving without any calculation but loving for the sake of love, loving to will the good of the other. Love 
so as to will the best for the other. Now, what does that mean in the marital embrace? How is a husband called to love his wife in that consummative act in sexual intercourse? Well, John Paul II has something to say on this. Now, some of you might be thinking out there, ah, he's a priest, he's a bishop, he's a pope. Why would he be talking about this? But as one Christopher West says, <laughs> one Carol Voitia, Carol Voitia being the man who is Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, was no prude. But more importantly, he was a man who understood it. And this is what he had to say. This is directly out from love and responsibility as it relates to how a man is to be sensitive to the woman in that marital embrace, in that conjugal act. Now, lend your ears, because I think this is not only provocative, but incredibly insightful. Carol Voitia writes that if a husband is to truly love his wife, it is necessary to insist that intercourse must not serve merely as a means of allowing his climax. What did you just say, Joe? We can't talk about this. Yes, we have to, because it's everywhere. And this is what theology of the body is out. He goes on to say, the man must take the difference between male and female reactions into account so that climax may be reached by both and as far as possible occur in both simultaneously. The husband must do this not for hedonistic but for altruistic reasons, as John Paul II goes on to say. In this case, if we take into account the shorter and more violent curve of arousal in the man, such tenderness, this is the Pope, such tenderness on his part in the context of marital intercourse acquires the significance of an act of virtue. Ivan, last week we were talking about the importance of praying as not only a married couple, but also before that, that act of intercourse. How powerful is that? Mm-hmm. How powerful is that? We might think, well, this is going to take away from it. But what did we talk about last week? We talked about just that. We talked about the story of Tobias and Sarah as they were, after their wedding, as they were praying on their bed, asking God for his mercy and thanking him for each other's love. And, you know, many people will see this story and wonder, well, I don't like that because that would just kill the fun of the moment. But to say that, it's like saying, you know, Joe, it's like saying, if I can just keep the author of love out of my love life, then I will enjoy some real love. But can you see how ironic that is? Because God himself can reveal to us the kind of love that will truly satisfy us. And anything less than that kind of love will bore us, will unsatisfy us. And so as we study theology of the body, we realize that God actually enriches our marriage and the quality of our relationships. And yeah. like you said, some people may wonder, what can a Pope know about this? I think he knew everything and much more than most people because you know what? He knew Christ's love for his church, and that is true marriage right there. You know, Ivan, we are here talking about John Paul II and theology of the body because history has a sense of humor. God's providence has a way of working in the most unexpected and simple way. What do I mean? There's a fascinating story that brings us back to uh, one day during the Second Vatican Council. Now, imagine you're in a room 
where you have all of these cardinals, bishops, and towards the back you have uh, one young Carol Voitia. Again, Carol Voitia is the birth name of the man that we call St. John Paul II. And up front you have the towering French theologian by the name of Henri de Lubac. Now, Henri de Lubac, Father Henri de Lubac, a Jesuit, is someone who is so influential that it has been said that the Second Vatican Council convened partly because of his influence within academic circles and the Vatican itself. Now, that's a big statement, but the point to be had here, he was very important. So, why am I talking about this? Well, during Vatican II, John Paul II was named Cardinal. And if you were named Cardinal during the council, then you moved up tables. Well, he happened to move up some tables to one Henri de Lubac and also one uh, Kungar. That's a whole other story. As far as it goes with uh, de Lubac, and John Paul II recounts this story in Crossing the Threshold of Hope, the interview that turned into a book that was published in 1993. They were talking, Ivan, about theology of the body. More specifically, this is early 60s. They were talking about love and responsibility, his great philosophical work, Love and Responsibility. Now, not a lot of people had read this. Henri de Lubac did. Young Carol Voitia was not sold on his philosophy. He wasn't going to take this philosophy of love and responsibility and apply it per se to his pastoral philosophy and theology within, within his own circles. But Henri de Lubac, one day during the Second Vatican Council, whispered into his ear and said, that love and responsibility is going to be something important for the church someday. Mm. And so he embraced it. He embraced it. And so we have theology of the body. So we have what we're talking about today. Would if it had happened? Maybe, maybe not. But in God's eternal design, one Carol Voitia is now, one Bishop Voitia is now Cardinal Voitia. He moves up some, some tables, and look what happens. John Paul II uh, cites this. Most fascinating. Now, Ivan, why is this important to our discussion tonight? Because it was out from his work, Love and Responsibility, that he reflected deeply, deeply into Christian anthropology. And, and anthropology, that's not just, you know... A study of history on Cro-Magnon man and Neanderthal man and uh, a study of Lucy and the evolution of man. No, a Christian anthropology that's rooted in body and soul. Christ gives us, as John Paul II liked to say, the full vision of man in spirit and flesh. So he takes this and he applies it to that marital act, that nuptial embrace. I, Christopher West has, I think, a great point here. He says, you know, he... Uh, he was talking about this at a conference. I I've never had this one happen to me, but this happened to him, mm-hmm. where a woman, after he read that uh, passage that I just read, she stands up and says, the Pope rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why? Because the Pope has a deeper understanding of that self-gift and how it reaches into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And how important is that? And, you know, as you're speaking about Christopher West, I would like to recommend you, all listeners, if you want to grab some of his books, he has some really good books out there called Good News About Sex and Marriage, uh, Theology of the Body for Beginners. 
I would like to read a quote from the book, Theology of the Body for Beginners. And it says, History attests that few men express the tenderness and virtue that John Paul spoke in the passage that we read. As a whole, women have suffered greatly at the hands of male lust and domination, just as Genesis predicted. So to all the women listening to, to us right now, in the words of Christopher West, allow me as a representative of the male side of the human race to apologize humbly for the way male lust has wounded you. The wounds go so very deep in a woman's soul. And I am so very, very sorry. So please forgive us. We know not what we do. To the men I say, get ready. Are you up to the mission St. Paul assigned us? I am going to call you forth into battle. A battle that involves all the courage and stamina you can muster. A battle that involves much sacrifice. We must be men who are willing to sacrifice rather than ever indulge our lusts. Amen, Ivan. Uh, those words are so important. You know, and as we talk about the importance of the man stepping up, I mean, how can we not go back to Christ on the cross? And I want to actually go back to Ephesians 5, you know, in that verse here where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. You know, what is that language? Sanctify. Make holy. We need to allow the love of Christ, Ivan, to purge us, to make us more holy. It's interesting, as we're talking about this, you know, the Hebrew word for marriage, tresh, it's also the word for holiness, huh? The very sacrament of marriage is the sacrament of holiness, is the sacrament that sets us apart. Remember, the word sanctify in the Greek, hagiazo, to be set apart. In the Old Testament, things were set apart. In the New Testament, in the new dispensation of grace, Ivan, in the new covenant way of life, mm -hmm. man is set apart. And we are set apart to the measure that we give of ourselves totally and entirely. Remember what we talked about a month ago, this donation of the flesh. Christ gives of his flesh. He holds nothing back. And so we too are to give of our flesh and hold nothing back inside the bedroom and outside the bedroom. We move from eros in the Greek, right, to agape, mm -hmm. that physical love to that more mature Christian, authentic love. This is what it's about, and this is what we need to be after. And you know what, Joe? When we as men step up and show Christ-like love to our loved ones, other men step up. It gives courage to others who need to, who need to step up too. Yeah, I mean, we need to encourage each other, right? As brothers right. in Christ, as, as men who are called to dwell in unity. What is that great psalm, Psalm 133, how sweet it is when brothers dwell in unity. Mm -hmm. Is there anything sweeter than when brothers come together and encourage each other to step up and to be men of purity? I don't think there is, quite honestly. I mean, that is a huge step for, for men to enter more profoundly into everything that we're talking about tonight. So, Ivan, I think that's more or less a wrap for our time together this evening. 
Um, great program. Great to have you, you, you with me tonight. And I look forward to our next time together where we're going to have the opportunity to take some, some of the subject matter we talked about tonight and to put it within the context of forgiveness. I think that could be a rich, rich program, Ivan, for our listeners. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.